Good to see you here today. Sounds like a very energetic group today. It's good to be with you. But I would like to, Lisa and I would like to once again extend our thanks giving to you for all of your best wishes, your blessings, your gifts, your thoughts, your prayers during uh, Pastor Appreciation Month. You made it all worthwhile last week. So thank you very much. Uh, but particularly prayers. Um, there's a, the, the level of heightened spiritual warfare is. I don't even have words for it. It's, it's crazy. It's out of control. But our God is greater. He is in charge. He is more powerful than anything that any demonic forces can deal or wage out. We need to remind ourselves of that, but don't stop praying. With that, let's go. Uh, let's take our Bibles and turn to uh, the book of Luke today. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, and uh, we'll read the first four verses. Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Luke 11, 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples, and he said unto them, When you pray, say... Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in earth, I'm sorry, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive every one that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, thank you. For the Word of God, we thank you so much for you caring enough for us to know about you, your plan, our failure, you sending a Savior. It's your story as you unfold a mighty sovereign God that cared and loved enough the people, human, human, mankind that you created, that you cared enough before you made them, before the foundation of the world, as it says in Ephesians 1.4, you would give Jesus Christ to be the only way for salvation to take place. Here we are in that raining down of grace. Your mercy and grace, which is overpowering, unsurpassed, all because of your love. Your love, which needed justice to satisfy your holiness. That was accomplished through you. Father, we're here now, gathered around the Word. We would ask that the Holy Spirit would exclusively be our teacher, that we would be open, our minds, our hearts, everything about us, to receive from you wisdom, encouragement, strength for these days that we find ourselves in. Help us. Strengthen us. We bow before you with humility and thanksgiving. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is an interesting passage. Uh, now, one of the things I guess I would say, I don't know why I'm saying it right, but it just came to pop in my mind here now. But um, if you were to go to Matthew chapter 6, uh, which was the part of the Sermon on the Mount, 
um, that is probably more traditionally of what would be known as the Lord's Prayer, which literally, probably a more apt description would be the Disciples' Prayer. Uh, these are two different events, though. I don't know if you knew that or not, but the, the Sermon on the Mount would be in the Galilee area, probably around Capernaum. And it would have been, uh, if you noticed, the disciples didn't ask Jesus how to pray there. He told them. There was lots of things in the Sermon on the Mount that was overpowering to a group that was, as we talked about, we went through parts of that. And it was essentially his inaugural address. He was, on, he was finally on the scene, that is speaking of Jesus. He was appearing as the Son of God. He was the Messiah. He was the ruler to be. All of that, literally, as he unfolded this before a large multitude of people, part of that address was him saying how to pray. This event was probably in Judea, later, months later. And it, we find it interesting that one of his disciples, one of Jesus' disciples, is not named, but it would seem as such maybe this has been kind of going around in their mind for some period of time. How do we pray? There's a good question, isn't there? I would say uh, we in America today would, could ask the same question. How do we pray? Even how do we pray today in such a pagan or a crazy world? It's interesting uh, that for them to ask that question. <laughs> and did, did you see the context in which they asked it? Let's go back to verse 1, chapter 11 of Luke. It says, It came to pass that as he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, when he was finishing, one of his disciples said, Could you teach us to pray like that? <laughs> what would that have been like to literally to hear and to be experiencing on a very routine basis? You find all through the Gospels, Jesus prayed all of the time which was his desire for not only his disciples, but for us today. Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 18, uh, chapter 18, verse 1. And this, uh, he used this as a, uh, shall we say, a springboard to, to give a parable. But verse 8, I'm sorry, chapter 18 of Luke, verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Isn't it interesting? It's easier for us to faint than it is to pray. Right? <laughs> I'm not sure why that is, but usually after we're fainting and we, oh, yeah, pray. We should pray. Jesus is saying, let's pray about everything and then we don't have to faint. That, that's a powerful verse. And, and, and it's just, it sets him up for the parables that follow. The other thing that seems out sticks out to me in Luke chapter 11 is the fact that this disciple that asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples, John the Baptist. You mean he taught his disciples? Yeah. The thing that I think we need to spend a few moments on is that something had been lost. From the Old Testament sense of prayer, we'll be talking about that in a moment, there were several points or several parts of Old Testament praying that were part of that era. Something had been lost. That whole concept of what we would call communication with God had been askewed. It had been overridden, driven over, maybe that's a better word, by the religious leaders, by the Pharisees. Let's go back for a moment and let's take a look at Matthew chapter 6, which is a, it's, it's not the same time frame. 
But it does, in fact, bring Jesus to the same um, theme, the very same issue, and that's about prayer. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, and he begins this section with verse 5. Again, he is on the mountain. He is, these are his words, chapters 5 through 7. There, there's, there's no let up. As such, it's almost like it, without taking a breath, he just unloads this. And the people have to be, by the end of it, their jaws are just dropping. This is so different than what the Pharisees and Sadducees and the, and the scribes, religious leaders, were, were, would have, their lives even didn't exemplify any part of this. Verse 5, chapter 6 of Matthew says this. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. That's what praying had become. They were much more interested in being heard by men. Or let me, let me say it different. They were, they were much more enamored with people watching than God hearing. It seems there's some of that as well today. Uh, I, I am sometime, and we'll, is this thing all breaks down because the Lord's Prayer, are, which is commonly called, it's a disciple's prayer, or I'm just going to say this is God teaching the disciples how to pray. And there's nothing wrong with reciting the Lord's Prayer, but it's at a very low level of what its intentions were. This is a framework, this is a model that describes how we approach God, how we really get deeper more intimate with God. That's his purpose. And interestingly enough, is it had been thwarted by the religious leaders. They had made a, essentially an open-aired forum for them to look really, really good. And they were, as much as done today, there's a lot of people that pray with only themselves in mind. God is just a Someone that, gimme, 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 gimme. Uh, they're, they're, they're little our prayers said that demand God to do something. And they may pray it in the name of Jesus. Only because they think it empowers their prayer to get what they want. That is not prayer. That's extortion. I'll tell you what God thinks of extortion. I think we have the same problem as they did in their time and age when Jesus was walking this earth his prayer had been adulterated it had been replaced by hypocrisy let's step back in time for a moment and let's think about or look how the Old Testament literally would have I, I want to take just before we do that one more thing about John the Baptist uh, turn to Luke chapter 5 uh, this would be a statement that even the outside, shall we say, those would have seen something different about John the Baptist. Luke chapter 5 and verse 33. Luke 5.33. And they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? They seen that as a very different. Uh, John the Baptist and his disciples... They were different. They fasted and prayed with some sense of really God-approaching, approachment, if you will. He was seen as being different from the normal in that day and age. 
Well, let's, uh, we're going to have a, a number of things, uh, maybe I'll jot those down as we go on, about what we could diagnose Old Testament praying as being, which would be actually not too far off, literally what Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. There are some differences. We'll be talking about those as we go. But the first one, let's go to like um, uh, Psalm chapter 34. Psalm 34. Psalm 34. The Psalms particularly are filled with this. Let me just, I just start reading. This would be a Psalm of David, and, and he, uh, it, it wasn't a good moment for him. He literally had went to the Philistines, and um, he was, he's in a foreign land because he had, was fearful of Saul. And he's appeared before Abimelech, which would be a Philistine leader. And he basically acts insane before him. I, I don't know what that looked like, but it wasn't pretty. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, but, but here he comes, and, and this would have been, uh, as he was departing from that, this psalm breaks out in Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamped round about them that fear him and delivered them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints. For there is no want to them that fear him. Did you see, did you see where he started, those first three verses? There was praise and adoration. What a great place to start. Adoring the God that we're praying to. Praise and adoration. In fact, I'm going to write that down on the board. Adoration. We'll look at another psalm if we go to Psalm 51. Now, again, this isn't uh, necessary. It's amazing, though, how God convicts us uh, when we see what the Word teaches. Um, just as a question, the last time that you prayed to the... And praying is what? I want you to remember it this way. Praying to a Christian is like breathing. It's spiritual breathing. Uh, how much did you work at in the last hour? Oh, yeah, i got to remember to breathe. I've got to remember to breathe. Hopefully no one had any trouble convincing themselves to breathe. It's automatic. It's part of just being, correct? The relationship that you have with God is, should be the very same way. Praying should literally be just like breathing, spiritual breathing. So the last time that you spiritually breathed, <laughs> you were breathing, did, did, you have a, did you have a time frame in that spiritual communication that you made it a point to adore your God? That's a good question, isn't it? Now, David was in a, he was, he was, this is what's really important about this Psalm, Psalm 34. He's lost it. He's literally looked like a complete fool before the Philistines. And the first thing he does, asking to be, we, we read some of his requests. The first three verses were talking about how much he adored God. Uh, number two, well, actually, let's look at another one. Let's turn to Psalm 51 for a moment. Psalm 51. 
This one here finds David in a very different scenario. He actually had been told by Nathan the prophet that, (laughs) uh, shall we say, he was guilty. He was guilty. He was that man. Let's start in chapter 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou speakest, when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth. In the inward parts, in the hidden part of, in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. It goes on and on, and it's literally describing to God the fact that He is God, and He alone. He's adoring the fact of that He even has the opportunity to receive His mercy. Adoration. Let's go to Jonah. Find that little book of Jonah for a moment. Jonah chapter 2. Jonah. Tell me about Jonah. I, was, I think about him as we think about, we'll be talking about this a little bit later, Lord willing. Uh, Jonah, you talk about positions of prayer. Have you ever prayed from inside a fish? <laughs> There's at least one guy did. <laughs> Very unique. Look at this, uh, Jonah chapter 2. And it just is actually a rather short chapter. Let's just start at verse 1, Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. And and said I, cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hadst cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me, round, uh, compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. And then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about. Even to the soul, the depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I, I, how are you guys doing? How would you like to have been in that spot? That is not a good Motel 6 even. <laughs> I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars were about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Watch verse 9. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. One of the things that is, which I've, you've, if you've been around me very much, you know that there's something that has become absent from the American lifestyle and philosophy and just how we think. The more affluent, the more blessed that God has treated us, the less thankful we have become. The sense, the word entitlement today, I, I, that's not even the right word. There should be a new one created what people think that they should have, what they demand to have. Uh, There's one that seems to be absent. Have you noticed no one demands freedom? Isn't it amazing? They'll give up anything to get stuff, to get out of trouble, get out of whatever it is, whatever the perception is of that day. We'll give it up with no thanksgiving. Isn't it amazing? 
That's the holiday. I, I, choose, I, don't, I don't even like that word because we should be in the attitude of thanksgiving. Every single day should be a day of thanksgiving. Amen. Every moment of every day, now that I think about it. Amen. Right? Actually, every second of every day. <laughs> of every month. Of every year. Right? Now I'm getting there, aren't I? You, you get the idea. And we're asked to do that, to rejoice evermore. That's a biblical context of saying that. And here we got a man that was defying God's command. Now, we've never done that. I mean, uh, Jonah's not. It's just, right? We've never ever, we've obeyed every time that God has ever given us. Oh, it's not true. But here he is now. He goes 900 miles the opposite direction what God had told him to go. Finally, they throw him off overboard. I wonder what that was like. And he told them to do it because he knew he was the reason that they were going through. Well, he would, there would have been other men that would have lost their lives, literally. And he said, the only way that you'll be saved is to throw me overboard. What do you think that was like? Oh, by the way, it did not have a sign, exit, fish waiting. It wasn't there. That, was, that, that would have been the first news is when that fish, I don't know what that was like, that swallowed him. At first, <laughs> right? I don't know. But literally, God used that instrument to save this man that was in direct, direct rebellion to God. And yet, in the midst, in the deepest part of a sea, inside a fish, this prayer of which he said, I am thankful to my God. You see, at that point, he, was, he recognized who God was. It wasn't new information. He just didn't want to go to Nineveh. I mean, let's be honest. Do you want to go everywhere God tells you to go? <laughs> let's be honest. No. He knew God, but now in the depths of the ocean, in the depths of a fish, in you got the picture, he told us enough about it. This was not a good place, and yet he was thankful to God because no matter what happened going forward, he was still his God. You see the difference? That's something that was very important actually in the Old Testament was that prayer had thanksgiving. And, it, you know, you, and it's a little bit early for that, but as you think about uh, a time frame in which we have a day set aside for Thanksgiving, and you think about those conditions in which those men and women found themselves, there weren't very many left after the first year. And yet they took this time to thank God for the produce, for what had happened, for their basically saving their lives, being with them. Uh, it, see, that's how Thanksgiving really works. I remember David White He's told me on several occasions, well, as he will, you know, go to where a tornado or a hurricane or some natural disaster that is very overwhelming. He says the one thing that is common is he said everybody that we have there, and, and most of them have lost everything, the people he's dealing with. They all seem amazingly thankful to just have what they have. And it seems like the more we have, the less thankful we are. Can you imagine people in Africa? And I don't know I'm picking Africa, but there's many countries in Africa. Today, they have no idea what they're going to have to eat tomorrow. They don't. They don't have anything. 
In fact, if they have breakfast, they don't know if they'll need another meal. Can you imagine what they'd have if they just had a zillionth of what we have? See what I'm saying? God is so good to us, and we are so forgetful of how thankful we should be. Let's go to another one. Psalm 119, if, let's just go there. I mean, there's, that, what a rich, rich psalm. 176 verses. And if you're reading it, it does seem to go on for a while. But any single one that you can pick, you'll find there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a, an attitude of submission. There's an attitude of submission. In fact, I was reading today, I didn't have time. There's supposedly only one verse out of 176 that isn't directly related to some sense of a submissive attitude or action. That's kind of strong, isn't it? 175 out of 176. That whole psalm is about submitting. A desire to please and obey God. Submission. There's something that prayers were always part of in the Old Testament was submission. Let's just look at a couple of, you know, just start in Psalm 119, verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the, way, in the law of the, land, of the Lord. See that submission in walking in the law. Of, Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with a whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk. Do you see it? And they're walking. Uh, all of that is carried on. What is it? It's submitting to God's way. Submission. Submission. Oh, I missed one. Is it okay? I'm going to call it number four. But one of the things that you'll find all through the Old Testament, particularly in the prayers, I'm thinking of Daniel. I'm thinking of those that had those prayers that were reaching up. One of the things they always acknowledged was God's holiness. God's holiness. See, you'll never, if, if you don't approach God in his holiness, you're presumptive. We're getting things ahead of ourselves. God is holy. His holiness was always addressed. Particularly the Old Testament. Did you did you see? Now let's let just just we're going to pop back in here for a moment. Remember uh, Matthew chapter six verse five. We read about the Pharisees. Um, um, let's see now. Um, or do you remember that Pharisee and the publican? Remember, remember that one where Jesus talked about where the Pharisee said, "What did he say? Do you guys remember this? Sure you do. What did he say?" There was, there, was, there was the thankful part, but it had nothing to do with God. Thankfully that I am not like that one over there and said it a loud voice, right? Do you see any of those things? See, those are the things that would have been lost. That's why the disciples, what I'm trying to do is drag you back to what the disciples said. Teach us to pray. This is so different. This is, this is the way the Old Testament prophets and those that lived there that were really in tune with God, this is how they prayed. And you know what? It had been lost. It had been lost. I listened to some of the, you know, sometimes you just flip through the channels or whatever, and there's a, there's a I don't know, whatever, a TV evangelist or some type of it. And it, it turns my stomach almost immediately of the demands that are made upon God. He's like a peer. I mean, he's got power. But we want to tell him what to do because he obviously doesn't know what he's doing because he hasn't affected our lives the way we want him to do it. 
Correct? You, you guys are nodding because that's the way it is. That is totally, totally not prayer. That is not spiritual breathing. See, the same thing that the disciples were used to, it's amongst us as well. Let's go back to Psalm 51 one more time. Because there's, there's a sense of not only adoration, which we use Psalm 51 for in one sense, but let's look at a couple of, just a, a packet of verses. Psalm chapter 51, verses 7 through 10. Now, these I didn't read. Uh, but we, we read to verse 6. Uh, verse 7 of Psalm 51, again, that same one that David had written after Nathan had poked his finger in his face and said, You are that man. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. What is he doing? What is he doing there? Before you answer, turn to Psalm 24. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. What is going on here? What was David doing in those verses 7 through 10? What was he literally doing? This is what had failed to happen for those months before. And guess what? Guess what David was doing while he was in that state of unforgiveness? How many psalms was being written? Zero. What was his heart like? What was his, in fact, his bones were waxing old. What were those verses doing? They were describing for us what literally David was doing before his God. This is key component to us as we pray as well because there's not a day goes by in which there isn't some sin confessing Confessing. correct and what happens when we confess first john chapter one is very clear first first john chapter one verse nine that he is faithful to forgive us our sins when we confess of them if you're not confessing sins guess what happens to your fellowship it never comes back together That's right. It's a separation. Confession is a key component of prayer. Now, again, did you see, I I, I keep adding this, but the Pharisees, where was the confession in their prayers? Oh, yeah, that's right. There wasn't any. (laughs) Confession. You know, this is the day, Psalm 51 was the day that literally David's heart was healed. Now, he's got a lot of consequences. Don't, Don't ever rule that out. Sin has consequences. You will reap what you sow. That's, that's, a, that's a concept that is very clear, and it's biblical, and it works that way. Sometimes God can soften the impacts, but you're not going to take consequences from sin and just make them go away, at least in this earth. But that's when David's soul was healed. That's when all of the things that, you know, think about that. What a, what a wreck. Adultery, murder. Scandals, at, I mean, at every level amongst his generals. I mean, that was hell. In fact, that's one of the reasons he couldn't get rid of Joab. He told his son Solomon. He said, you know what, Solomon? When I'm gone, you need to deal with Joab. You know why he couldn't? Because Joab knew exactly what he'd done with Uriah the Hittite. You see, it's amazing how sin... We, we talked about this maybe a couple of weeks ago. If you think you can 
take a little bit of sin off the shelf and just kind of mess around with it and put it back on the shelf with no, no, no change. You are so amazingly wrong. You are deceived. Sin has a way of ensnaring, capturing, and really sucking the life right out of you. David is a prime example of that. Here's David, the king of Israel. David, anointed by God. Remember Samuel? He anointed this young man as king by God's direction. And yet this time frame in his life, could you have made it any worse? You know how you made it better? Confession. Do you know what Satan wanted him not to do? Or you? If, you, if, if you've fallen into sin, and by the way, that's, that's not a new consequence or, or a new situation. It even talks about in Galatians. If there's a brother that has fallen, be there and pick them up. And watching yourself, that's a common thing. Satan wants you to sin right away and then never confess. That's his system. That's step one, step two. First of all, run away from God and then don't ever go back. Oh, fantastic. What a game plan, right? Then we wonder why we're miserable. Now, a non-Christian, it doesn't matter. Really, that's Satan's property. Those are his kids. They don't even know what it knows, what it feels like to be forgiven, right? They don't know what fellowship feels like. To them, it's just one sin high to the next. Sin high, whatever that is. And they chase their whole life after other stuff. We're talking to those. Oh, by the way, can anyone pray to God? Does God answer every single prayer? No. Why not? That's right. There's only one prayer that he's ready to hear from one that doesn't know him, that doesn't have a relationship, and that is for them literally to acknowledge him as God, to confess their sins, to repent and ask Jesus Christ to be their Savior. That's the first prayer that you must have because these aren't things that would be on anyone's prayer list if you don't know God, right? That's how it works. Let's keep going. Daniel chapter 9. Oh, man, this is a prayer now. We went, as we went through our, our study in Daniel, you remember Daniel chapter 9? Daniel, what a guy, right? What a guy. We'll just look at a couple of verses here. I could read it. To, maybe, maybe homework for yourself. From verses 3 through 19, this is Daniel fasting and praying. He's looking for answers. What he's done is he's, uh, he's read in Jeremiah um, that, whoa, we've we got to be getting close to the end of this captivity from Babylon. And he's praying. Now, Here's another thing. is I myself am very guilty of this. It's so easy for me to pray in regards to... And you know, even, if I, even if I start out this way, even if I start out in acknowledging who God is, even though I am adoring Him, even that there's a point of which it's so easy for me to fall into this, and God, I need this. Could you help me with this? I, I, I'm asking you to take care of this for me. Uh, whatever it is, it's so easy for us to fall into the... Me, myself, and I. Deal. Now, again, there's, there's nothing necessarily wrong with it, but I want you to see Daniel, who is in a foreign country that has as many spiritual warfare issues as I've known of, and he prays this way. Watch the plurality or the collectiveness, the unselfishness. 
I'm just going to start in here. I'm going to ask you guys to read verses 3 through 19 in your own. But let's just look at verse 17 of chapter 9 of Daniel. Now, therefore, O our God, did you see that? Our God, not my God, our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations, our desolations, and the city which is called by thy name, for we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Do you see? There's not a a singular attention there. He's literally praying for the entire nation of Israel. You'll find that in that prayer from verse 3 all the way on. He actually associates even with those that have sinned. He's part of that. A collectiveness, an unselfishness. I'm going to to use that word. Unselfishness. Two left. Only because I run out of board space. No, that's not true. Look over to Deuteronomy for a moment. Deuteronomy chapter 9. Um, if who was let's, let's let's use that word meek. Tell me what meekness is. Meek. What is meek? Power under control. So, in other words, if you have the ability and you have the power, you still do the right thing to bring the very best out of the situation, even though you could change it. You could make it more about you. You could actually lift yourself up. Do you see why meekness is not a very popular thing today? It's not like that. Who was described in the Old Testament as being the meekest man? Moses. Moses. Let's look at an example of this. Let me set it up for a moment. I mean, see where my verse starts. Um, Yeah, we're going to read a little bit of that. Okay, so you're in Deuteronomy chapter 9, right? Oh, I didn't tell you. Oh, very good. While you're turning to Deuteronomy chapter 9, let me set you up. So Moses is on the mountain with God. And what would have that been like, right? And God gives Moses, what what did he give him? The Ten Commandments, okay? And God wrote them. (laughs) Wow, right? And there's Moses on a, I mean, you talk about a spiritual high, not just because he's on the mountain, but he's been with God. He has communed with God. And God has written, handwritten on these tablets, the Ten Commandments. And it's time to go down the mountain. Satan has been very, very busy in his absence. Isn't that amazing how Satan can be very, very busy, particularly on spiritual highs? happens all the time. At any rate, here he comes coming down the mountain, right? What are they doing? There seems to be this... There's a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a festivities of... Un, you're right? It's crazy. What's going on? The closer he gets and the closer he gets, and he sees what's taking place. It's out of control. It's an X-rated party. And in his anger, ah, he throws these tablets down and they break. 
remember what we talked about a little bit. Um, we're getting closer to what prayer is wanting us to do. Now, I'm not, I'm not, first of all, I'm not saying that for Moses to have broken those tablets was cool. But there was something cool about it. What made God angry made Moses angry. See, there's not enough of that today in the church. We get angry about stuff, but it's not angry about stuff that God's angry about. You see the difference? I want you to see how mad God is. God is really, really mad. Now, Moses broke a couple of tablets. God is ready to take these Israelites and chuck them out of history. But I want you to see how Moses responds to this. Let's start reading now. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, and let's read beginning at verse 13. Actually, let's go to verse 12. The Lord said unto me, Arise. Actually, I want to go back one more. Verse 11. I'm sorry. There's so much here. Here's another homework. Chapter 9 of Deuteronomy. Here we go. Verse Verse 11. Here we go. It came to pass at the end of 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, even the tables of covenant. Now think of that. He's on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Oh, my goodness. Right? Oh. Verse 12. The Lord said unto me, Arise, get thee down quickly from hence, for thy people which thou hast brought out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They are quickly turned aside out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten image. Furthermore, the Lord spoke unto me, saying, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. I wonder what God is saying about America today. I think stiff-necked would be an appropriate word. Let's keep going. Let me alone, verse 14, that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make of thee a nation mightier and greater than they. (laughs) You think God's mad right now? He's ferocious. So I turned, this is Moses, came down from the mount and the mount burned with fire. And the two tables of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God and had made you a molten calf. You had turned aside quickly out of the way which the Lord had commanded you. And I took the two tables, cast them out of my two hands, and broke them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord as at the first. Forty days and forty nights I did neither eat bread nor drink water because of all your sins which you sinned in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord. To provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure wherewith the Lord was wroth against you to destroy you. Look down to verse 25. Thus I fell down before the Lord forty days and forty nights as I fell down at the first because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Did you get that? Did you know that? Moses comes off the mountain. God told him, Moses, you need to get down there. Those people, I'm done with them. And Moses sees it and he loses his temper and throws this down. He's mad about the same things. But there's something here that I really see that I think is incredibly impressive about a very meek man or woman is the fact of his persistence or perseverance in praying for these people. Now, 
it would have been a lot easier to say, you know what, God, I kind of looked at it. What a mess. I think you should. Just, just, just make them go away, and, and you can just start over with me. That would have been easy. And God was willing to do that. But you know what it also showed? It showed Moses, really his heart, for him to pray and fast for 40 days for a people that were God described as stiff-necked. Right? Isn't that amazing? How persistent are we? After he just got done fasting for 40 days. That's exactly right. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa, right? Whoa. Now, the first 40 would have been easy. Because, I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like to be in the presence of God. Right? You're on the mountain with God. And then you're with those losers. <laughs> But now he's not on the mountain in exhilaration with God. He's with God on his knees, persevering for those that were about to be destroyed. Are we that persistent? I'm going to say myself, no. No. What a man, right? What a man. He deserved that to be said that he was the most meek man. That is a perfect example of meekness. You, you guys like persistence or perseverance? Perseverance. <laughs> okay, here's how. Whoops. <laughs> you take it the way you want it. Perseverance or persistent? One left. And this would be one that literally we could probably start with as well. Um, And even in Jesus' prayers, the one that sticks out to me is the most, because Jesus knew what was coming upon him. You know, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had just had, you know, we think every time we have communion together, I think of that evening that they were in the upper room. And Jesus, I would have to say probably they saw him for the first time in the real sense of who he was as a servant, the love that he had for them. I'm not going to say he was any different, but them in the quietness of the room, and they're arguing about who's the greatest, it must have got super quiet when he starts washing their feet. He's the leader. He's the master. He's the rabbi. He's the son of God. And then just a few hours later, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he knows what's ahead of him. There's a cross in front of him. There's beatings in front of him. There's false accusations. There's six trials. There's nothing but, I'm going to just say, darkness in front of him. And he was still able to say this. If this cup could pass from me, but not my will, but thine be done. When we say, in these prayers, you'll find them in the Old Testament. When we say, your will be done, what is really behind that? What allows that to be said when we really believe? Not just to say it. Now, be careful now. Don't just say that. If you're just, if you're just saying that in a prayer and you don't mean it, then don't say it because God knows your heart. God knows you better than you do. So don't try to fool yourself. But when we believe that, when we say that, when God hears that because we feel that, because we know that, what is really behind all of that? Submissive or, let's take another, humility. Because submissiveness does require humility. But humility, that's really what that says.
Those eight things, those eight characteristics, literally is, there, you find them in the Old Testament. We went just exclusively to the Old Testament. That's what prayer was like. That's literally what God had designed it. Now, there's a difference. How would you call God in the Old Testament? Now, obviously, they prayed to him, correct? Seen it in a number of different cases. But how would have God been seen by the average? Let's say that we just came in, we're Old Testament believers, and we've come today, uh, and this, it's not quite as easy, because it is different, it's very different. They had a fear, because yeah. if you did the wrong thing and you stepped out of line, bam, you were gone. Right, and, how it, that, that, and what would we say then, that literally God was unapproachable? Why could we say that? Now, that sounds really odd for us today. Here we are. You're sitting. We're, we, we just prayed. Paul led us in a congregational prayer. Um, we can, we, you've been praying even in these moments. May God be glorified. And you, see, we can pray it for many times. Now, it was like God wasn't approachable, but you could get him on the phone. That's why they had priests. That's right. They were the go-betweens, weren't they? Yeah. And even yeah. the temple. Even the temple was set up to show that God was unapproachable. Today, God is approachable because Jesus Christ is our high priest. And he accomplished everything that needed to be done. What was the separation? And I'm not, I'm not going to go through the whole temple, but there was some place that if you, as a Jew, you never knew what was behind that curtain, behind that veil. What was in there? The Holy of Holies. Aptly named. Because that's where God dwelt. And that veil was about that thick. And you know, this, it's, I love to tell this story, and you guys are probably sick of me. But when Jesus Christ, when he said it's finished, that baby split from the top to the bottom, and the entire Holy of Holies, for the first time in history, had been opened up to every... You think that would have blown some minds? But prior to Jesus Christ, in the Old Testament, God was unapproachable because that's where he lived, and you didn't just get to walk in there. In fact, a priest on one day out of the year that hopefully took care of his business, and confessed and submitted and read all of these things that literally have as he approached God because if he didn't he's done and if anybody went in after him they're done that's why it was easier to put a rope around his leg and a bell so they could see if he stopped moving and that think of that for a moment here's a guy that this is the priest this is the best they got but he's still a sinful man he's got to do it the right way and he slips me on that curtain and you can hear the Ding, 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 ding. As he's walking. And there's no ding, ding, ding. Um, hello? <laughs> you pull him out. Smoking. Yeah, done. <laughs> Over. <laughs> Woof. Gone. Do you, see, and for us, it, do you see why I love being a New Testament Christian? <laughs> Not to mention... There was a whole lot of sacrifices that were necessary because there had to be blood sacrifices to cure. And that, in this case, in the Old Testament, it was just literally the word atonement. That's covering. Never paid for it. Just covered it. But it showed what we needed. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Same God. Even though he was unapproachable, you could still come to him. Look at how David did it, right? David never went into the Holy of Holies. He needed to be. Anybody that wasn't was never scared again. It was over, right? But you see, that respect was out of a fear for a holy God. Wow. 
Let's look at, uh, there, there's, a, there's a verse, it, it kind of fits where we're at. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29. Hebrews 12, 29. A consuming fire, I think that's what this says. I've got to get there a moment. Hebrews 12, 29. Yeah, exactly. This, this is so fits the Old Testament. For our God is a consuming fire. <laughs> exactly right. Now, what had happened is, how did we get from here? You look at this. Isn't that great? If, if you could have those elements, those components that we put on the, of adoration, thanksgiving, submission, holiness, and that's, that's not our, that's to recognize God's holiness, confession of our sins, and unselfish nature in how we approach God, a persistent, a persistence and humility. What happened? Well, literally the Pharisees changed. It became a, a ceremonial repetitiveness. They paraded their pomposity. That is a big word, isn't it? <laughs> and they like to use it. Actually, it fits them well. Pharisees with their... What was the first one I had? Uh, they were parading their pomposity. See, it's, it's just what they are, isn't it? In fact, I can say it's saying out loud even, you know. <laughs> That's who they were. They had these... Hypocritical formulas. They were focused on people watching them and certainly not God hearing them. Something had changed. Something had changed. That's why the disciples asked the Lord Jesus, Could you teach us to pray the way you pray? That brings us back to Luke chapter 11. That had been lost and now Jesus was going to bring it back interestingly enough the first word that he uses the the two words is what we're probably going to spend the remainder of our time speaking about and that is verse 2 of chapter 11 of Luke he says this he said unto them when you pray say Our Father. That's how he starts. First two words. Our Father. Our Father. In the Old Testament, that word Father was rarely used. And particularly the way this word is used. He would have been seen as the Father of creation. He would have been seen as the father of Israel. He would have been seen as the beginning, if you will, or the, or the father of something. But there was no sense of, again, you know how I say he was unapproachable? This word is Abba, father. That's the most intimate, closest relationship between a son or a daughter to the father. Daddy, Father. In fact, the Pharisees hated that. They, when Jesus would say, and he said, now by the way, in the New Testament, it was used about 35 times in each one of the Gospels, and in John it was used 100 times, the word Father. That's a big change. In the Old Testament, to see him addressed in a prayer as our Father didn't happen. Because they never saw him that way. Because he was not approachable. But look at something here. This is really cool. 
Um, hold your place and Luke will be back. But John chapter 20 and verse 17. John chapter 20 and verse 17. Now, what had happened here is he has just risen from the dead. And Mary, in fact, let's just read the passage. Verse 10, Mary Magdalene, John chapter 20, verse 10. Then the disciples went away unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. They said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. When she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, but didn't know, or, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest you? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, it must have been in the only way that Jesus said Mary, right? Mary. (laughs) She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabbani, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father, and your father. That is, I'm sorry, that is so over the top amazing because of what he did and because he's risen from the dead. Those disciples literally for the first time could call God their father. Isn't that unbelievable? Whoa! As Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father. That's the foundation. Literally the foundation. John chapter 5, verse 18. You're still in John. On the way back to Luke, John chapter 5, verse 18. I want to show you how mad this made the people, made the Pharisees. Verse 18 of chapter 5 of John. See, to, to have a prayer signifying God, Yahweh, as Father... Look at John chapter 5, verse 18. Well, let's start in verse 17. Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he had not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. They didn't like any part of that. And yet, today, you have the privilege, the opportunity, to declare God is our Father. Our Father. One of the things we can say about prayer is the fact that it needs to be biblical. It needs to be based out of God's Word. It must start from God's Word, and it must start with the glory of God. It's amazing, even in the, in the disciples' prayer, or whatever you want to call it, if you think about it, it starts with, Hallowed be thy name. It begins with the supremacy of Christ, and literally, what's the last phrase of it? And it ends with the supremacy of God. See, your prayers should start and end with God being supreme. Isn't it true? If He isn't, why are you praying to Him? 
right? It's an important consideration. Begins and ends with the supremacy of God. Now, notice some of the things. That, are you back in Luke chapter 11 as you're floating back there? Um, so let, let, I'm going to set you up again. It came to pass that as he was praying, verse 1, in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, when you pray, say. Notice what he didn't say. There's a lot of things he didn't say. Now, I'm sure I don't have a full handle on all of the things, but... It's interesting that he didn't say, well, now be sure and get in the kneeling position. Right? Or lift your hands to God. Or have your head down. Or you know how the, how, how do the, uh, the Islamists, the, the uh, Muslims do it? I mean, they're all the way, I mean, they're basically, their mouth is on the ground almost, isn't it? I mean, they're all the way down. Did you, did you notice he didn't give any of that? Why, why not? It is. And if you've noticed, if you read the Bible, there are about every single approach from even the inside of a whale's belly. How you come is not important in the sense of physical positioning. How you come with your heart is very important. And that's literally what he's talking about, is the heart approach. Your physical approach, he didn't mention anything about. The other thing that's interesting is, is he didn't say where you should pray. Did he? Now, you're, I see just a little bit of squirming. He said that one time, he said, go in a closet. What was, in, fact, in fact, let's look at that verse, because we'll find it in Matthew chapter 6. If you find, what did he say? And it's more or less making sure that the context of the Pharisee versus what you should do. In other words, we're going to come back. This word is really, really important. Let's, let's focus on humility. As, let's go back to Matthew chapter 6. But it's interesting here. Now, these are, again, I, I want to say this one more time. There are some people that believe Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 6 are the same event. No. No, 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 no. Very different. This is much later in his, in his ministry. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 6, and let's watch because that's where I saw a little bit. Wait a minute. He said something about place of prayer, but he doesn't say it here. But let's read verse, whoops, I'm in chapter 5. Chapter 6, let's read verse 5 again. He's laying this out. This is the way not to pray. Verse 5, chapter 6 of Matthew. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as, in other words, what he's saying is, don't do this. Don't do this, that thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily or truly, I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father, which is in secret. And thy father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee open it. Do you see, there's a contrast that he wants to make very, very clear. Do you see, there's a sense of humility. If you're going to prayer, it's not to show off to anyone. The Pharisees, was, it was a show-off session, right? I can't imagine if you had four or five or six of them at the same time having a show-off session, right? Show and tell. Oh, my, there wouldn't be enough corners in the street, correct? You don't almost have to have invitations. I need you guys to come to this side on 5th and, 5th and Main, and I'm going to be praying at 10 o'clock, and you guys need to see this. It's that sickening. And Jesus said, no. Well, would you pray like this? Enter into a closet. Enter somewhere secretly. And did you see he again described? How did he describe Father. Your father, my father. Isn't that great? 
That is so cool. It, you know, and that's one of the things that breaks my heart in the, in, the, in, in the world today is how much of a beating marriage is taken. And when there's not a father in the home, and I'm not, again, when I'm talking perfection, we're talking a father, a wife, father, mother, and children. See, without that father figure, it's so hard for people to get even any kind of a, a picture of who God wants to be. But when a father figure is there, he is our father in heaven, right? Isn't that been broken down? Big time. Our father. He doesn't say anything about physical appearance in prayer. In Luke chapter 11, he does not talk about a place of prayer. There's no limitations, even as far as a fish. In fact, you know where Jesus, I recommend not doing this if you can help it. Jesus even prayed on a cross. <laughs> anyway, there is any place, anywhere at all possibilities for you to reach out with your heart to God. Isn't that great? What if you had to be? What if you had to be in a certain place with the right appearance before you would be heard? Oh, my goodness, right? It'd be terrible. In fact... How many Muslims, quite honestly, probably don't think that there's any chance of being heard unless they're in that position at that time? Did you notice the other thing? Now, some have said the best time to pray is in the morning. You go through the Old Testament, I can find you can pray almost any time of the day. Right? Just the way it really fits the, the, the New Testament understanding. Pray always, never ceasing. Exactly. How do you, in other words, you, you can pray in the shower. That's right. That's right. Those are bullet prayers, aren't they? Exactly. Now, it's better if you're driving to pray with your eyes open. I, I remember I was listening to a pastor this week. He, was, he, was, he said they were, as, as a college kids, they, were, they had a, a quartet, and they would travel around, and part of their team, you know, they were in the car, and he said we'd have prayer meetings while we were driving. But the one guy that we really requested would never close his eyes as a driver of the car, right? So we need to use our head. But isn't it amazing? Did God hear that driver any less because he didn't have his eyes closed? Of course not. Of course not. That's what's really cool. 24-7, all of the time, God loves to hear from us. Because when we're praying, we are having our will adapted and melted into his will. If we're serious. Now, if we're coming with this demand, this extortion list, he's not hearing much of that. There are ways not to be heard. We're not going to get into this today, but let's keep moving. That foundation of our Father. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 for a moment. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. We see that word used, Romans chapter 8, verse 15. It says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. I, I, think, of, I think of someone, you know, let's just take a, a, a boy or a girl that has been in an orphanage. And to come home to a new family, and for that father to wrap his arms around that youngster. Now, it's not going to happen in the first hug. It doesn't work that way. But can you imagine each and every time that that youngster would feel the love of his father? That is the idea behind Abba, Father. 
the intimacy of someone that has been adopted, literally. And for us to be saved by Jesus Christ, we are into God's family so we can say our father. He is our father. That's not everybody's father. Let's make sure of that now. This is not a universality kind of a thing here where, you know, God is everybody's father. Oh, no, 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 no. No, you get to have God as your father through Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Amen. <laughs> There's a message we need to shout louder, isn't Amen. it? He's not everybody's father. <laughs> no, no, no. The one that placed us into his family is the reason we can call him our father. We didn't have any really good-looking paperwork to say, oh, you know what, I'm a long-lost son from wait. No, no, we didn't have anything, did we? We had nothing. But because of what Jesus did, God is our Father. You, you, could just, you could just camp on that, couldn't you? Literally, when you're praying, you could just, just camp on, God, I can't even understand. The, I can't even get just our Father. He told the Pharisees who their father was. <laughs> they liked that, didn't they, in John eight forty four? Yeah. See, that, that's one of the things today. that it is, you know, Do you know why we're having so much trouble with truth? Because Satan, the father of the Pharisees, said he's never told the truth. He's a father of lies. Do you see this intensity and this battle taking place raging? Not just in America. This is worldwide right now. It's raging. And are we talking to our father enough? Because truly he is our source. He is our source. There's going to be about six or seven of these S words. And the one we're going to, this is the only one we're going to get today. And you're going to say, whew, I thought you were going to go. No, no, we're not even going to get close. But when you say our father, you see him as the source. You see him as the source our foundation. In fact, let, let's just, uh, on Bill's point, let's go back to John chapter 8. It's, it's amazing that this truly is exactly, it was there, it was then, and it's now. It hasn't went away. Nothing's changed. And verse 42 is where we're going to start. Uh, this is John chapter 8. And verse 42. Now, there, there's been a dialogue. There's been... Um, some back and forth, if you will, but I'm just kind of diving into the conclusion of this, at least this segment of it. John chapter 8, verse 42. Jesus said unto them, these be the Pharisees, If God were your father, you would love me. Now, did you see that? That's a really good way. If someone says that God is their father, but they don't acknowledge Jesus Christ, they're a liar. They're a liar. If God is your father, you will love Jesus Christ. Period. Now, I can't say that your love wouldn't grow, but he, keeps, he goes on. Okay, That must have caught him a little bit. That was like a punch, shall we say. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. Like father, <coughs> like son. Correct. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. 
Isn't that exactly what cults are? Every false religion, every cult, anything other than true Christianity is in fact infiltrated and controlled by demons or Satan himself. Period. Is it any, any wonder that cults would be full of lies? Of course not. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. The father of lies. Wow. Let's go to John 17.9. I don't even know why, but I've got it written right here. 17.9. Oh, yeah, this was in the sense of the fact that not everyone... He's not everyone's father. Look at verse 9. This is the high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying not only for his disciples, but even we are in there as well. Verse 9 of chapter 17 of John. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Only those can say our father. My goodness. One more verse I want to look at real quick here. Oh, there is one place. This is interesting. There is one place where Jesus is describing or is involved in prayer where he doesn't use my father. Now, where do you think that would be? Probably at the very height of the persecution part of sin on the cross. Let's take a look at that. Mark chapter 15, verse 34. Mark chapter 15, verse 34. We'll start in verse 33. And this would have been the darkest, not only the darkest time in the land, but also for Jesus. As he was approaching that finality of him bearing everything that sin and all of its evil consequences that he was wearing and bearing. Chapter 33, I'm sorry, chapter 15 of Mark, verse 33. When the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. From noon to three. That's usually not very dark right then. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Oh, Eloi, Eloi, lama savachthani, which is being interpreted. Watch now. My God, not my father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's the only place you'll ever find of where there's prayer unfolded that Jesus does not call God his father. Because the father had to turn his back on the son. He bore every single sin. He bore my sin. He bore your sin. He bore every sin. I can't imagine that. Can you? Can you? No, you can't. You can't even possibly even get that. But he did. And I love the last three words spoken. The last three words that he spoke as a human. All God, all man. I should say it that way. It is finished. And I think he said it with a really loud voice. And because of those three words, because of him reaching out and saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me for three hours bearing that weight of your sin and my sin? When he finished, we here today can say, our father. (laughs) Now that's powerful. This source could never have been If Jesus hadn't paid the price. Is prayer starting to get more delicious? (laughs) I don't know if I've ever said that before. Prayer delicious. 
Let's go to Matthew chapter 7 for a moment. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. The access that you have because of Christ's redemption is nothing short of, I'm just going to say miraculous. Matthew chapter 7. And again, this is, this is talking to someone that is praying without ceasing, that is continually in the Spirit, continually spiritually, spiritually breathing, if you will. Verse 7, Jesus' words, again, Sermon on the Mount, closing in on the end of that. He said, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek. And you shall find knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. You know, um, and that's been used so much out of context. But literally, when you're spiritually breathing, when your relationship with God is so close that you can't imagine not praying without ceasing, then literally, I, we, we know, and, God, and Jesus knows that, that you're not going to be asking for stuff that isn't in his will. You're not going to be seeking for things that aren't in his will. <coughs> right? See, there's a huge difference. Those that are using this to get stuff, I can tell you that's not spiritual breathing. That's reaching out demanding that God give them what they want, which is not praying. That's not praying. It's not praying. Look at Philippians chapter 4, familiar passage to most of you. Philippians chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 and 20. This is the very end of the rejoicing book. Paul in prison, encouraging the Philippians who aren't in prison. He says, verse 19, chapter 4. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know who gets the glory when we lean on God to bring what it is we need? God gets the glory. God gets the glory. Take a look at Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. And verse 9. Jeremiah 31 verse 9. Even in the Old Testament, he still describes, even though... He's not as approachable. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 9. Look at this. They shall come with weeping and with supplications. Will I lead them? I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble, for I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. God is a father. Now, there's something that comes with father, though. And this is something, again, that's broken down in our country. Let's, in fact, let's let the scriptures unfold it for us. Just turn back to, I don't know where I left you, uh, but let's go to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6. Now, I just went to uh, Jeremiah chapter uh, 31 verse 9, and God describes himself as a father to Israel. Let's go to Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6. Malachi 1.6, a son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts unto you? O priest that despise my name, and you say, wherein have we despised thy name? A father deserves respect from his son or daughter. Is that not true? Absolutely true. 
Then it tells us literally in Hebrews chapter 12, what does it tell us about God? He chasteneth whom he loveth. One of the best things that can happen to us is when God literally says, Larry, you need a little discipline right now. You're walking outside the lines, and I'm going to, because I love you, I'm going to chasten you. Now, what, usually what we do is, why me? Right? You know what? Because he loves me. Isn't that true? It's absolutely true. And you know what happens when that chastening, and, and you, you look back, and you, of those of you that have raised children, literally those kids at the time of discipline is not a fun time. But it is a time in which they've grown, they appreciate it, they respect it, and they love you more because you've done what is right and they love you for doing what's right. Now, not the first moments, shall we say. And for us, it's the same. It's like, how do we mature? By trials. Why do we have trials? To mature us. To literally allow us to see how dependent we really are on God. The, more, the older I get, the more I see how, what's the right word? How much I need God. Every day more that I live, I know I need God more than I thought I needed him. And you say, well, well no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, it's amazing how much we truly are dependent upon God for everything. And you say, well, didn't you know that? Yeah, but I know it at a deeper level. Because the more I pray, the more I do it continually, the more I see him more clearly and understand how great and magnificent he is and really how small I am. I cringe anymore when I hear of a man or a woman that said that they're self-made. Yeah, right? That's someone that doesn't understand God very well. That's someone that's taking a whole lot of credit for privileges that God afforded them. Isn't it true? <laughs> and you, you and I have heard that for, I mean, and there are. By the way, a work ethic, a straight forward to it, go get it done, goal-oriented person is certainly going to do well than someone that is not that. But to say that it was because of their own abilities or their own motivation or their own whatever their own is, they do not know God. A self-made man will eat the fruit of his own ways. That's right. And it's a bitter fruit. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Exactly right. That's the end. That's the end. That's the end. That's right. There have been a lot of changes that they want to make. I'd like to leave you with essentially four things when we make God our source. And I'm sorry, you, you know, we haven't gotten very far today. Did you notice that? <laughs> Our Father. That's it. That's not, nothing more, right? And yet, did you see how much is here? I'm going to tell you four things that really, when you can declare God Almighty to be our Father. Our Father. That settles the matter of fear. When God is our Father, do you know where fear has any place? There is no place for it. It is displaced because when our Father, God, there is no place for fear. If you're here today 
or you can hear my voice wherever you hear it, and you find yourself prone to being fearful, and you are one of God's children, then you don't know exactly what our Father means. You are in his arms. You are protected. You are his ref- you are a re- he is a refuge to you. You are not alone. In fact, that's the second one. What about the, fear of God? the fear of God literally puts you when you say our father. That respect, remember we talked about in Malachi chapter 1? There's a given to that that the sense when we really understand who our father is, there should be a respect. A f- and that fear of God is literally enveloped within that very essence of respecting our father. And I think, isn't, isn't that cool? When we have all of these, these eight things that in, the, in the Old Testament, adoration, thanksgiving, submission, recognizing God's holiness, confession, unselfishness, persistence in prayer and humility, you know what that really does tell us? That we do respect God for who he is. The place of which we have no fear for God is when we approach him and we just have our want list. It must drive God crazy. In the name of Jesus, I want you to do this. I've heard that countless times. I'm sorry, that is not prayer. I can't say anything. That's extortion. God, you can do it, and I demand you do it. Even in the name of Jesus, and that is craziness. See, I, it just makes me almost cringe saying those words like that. That is not a fear of God, is it? There's no respect. Our Father. Think of that. Our Father. Yeah, Abba, Father, Daddy. And, I'm, and I want to... Well, I'll tell you what, one of the things that's hard for us right now, and this is why we're actually going through this session, I believe, is we're learning how to pray in a crazy world. One of the things that would be really easy for us to pray is, Our Father, take us home now. (laughs) But you know what? He has us here at just this time. Just like Esther. Imagine how difficult her life was for a moment or two. She put her life on the line numerous times. But her uncle, Mordecai, was really a wise man. And he said, Esther, could it be that you are here for such a time as this? I'm here to tell you, folks, you're here in this place, in Madison (laughs) County, in the United States of America, for such a time as this. And the best thing we can do is understand that our Father is the source. (laughs) Because if he's the source... He has broken the chains of fear. The other thing that happens, and I I can't believe how much hopelessness is out in the world today. And by the way, for good measure. That's one of Satan's greatest things that he would want. If he can get somebody to be so hopeless as to take their life. He's wanted that. He wants it. Because you know what? God created life, mankind, in his own image. And if Satan can have any of that destroyed, you know the only way that that really happens is to get to the level of complete, dire hopelessness. And when we can declare our Father, there is hope everywhere. Hope fills the room. It fills your mind. Every time I say our Father, hope is accelerated. It is enamored. It is growing. It is glowing. Because God is the source. The other thing when we declare that he is our father, 
literally loneliness evaporates. You may not have anyone else in this moment in which you feel so alone, but when you can say, our or my father, that is broken. Let's go to uh, Psalm chapter 18 for a moment. Psalm chapter 18. Psalm 18 and verse 2. These, these two verses, I, this, this psalm to me is one of my favorites. And I know you're not supposed to pray for it, but it, it's one of my favorites. Psalm 18, verse 1. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. That word there, my deliverer. My God, my strength, in whom I will trust. My buckler. And the horn of my salvation in my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. Don't those words take on even a new meaning when you describe him in prayers? Our Father. So much strength in that. And the other one, which it's so easy for us. Okay, so what do you guys got so far? I've been rattling these off. What do you got? Yeah, those, those, are, those really should be evaporative. The other thing that now we, we've talked about, three things that, needs to di- that should disappear when you really understand who our Father is and how we got there and in what position we are. But there's one that should just, it should just knock the doors off. And a lot of times that we come to our Father is because there is something pressing, something that's too big for us. Now, by the way, I've told you, everything pretty much is too big for me without God. There's nothing that I can, there's, there's just no way. So to know that fear can dissipate, that loneliness is a thing that really gets really out of the way when I can say my father, to cling to Abba Father, that adoration that I have for him. And I have forgot the third. Oh, and, and the sense that hope brings to me. There's another part of this that just saying those two words, our father, my father, <coughs> whatever you've come to God in prayer for, Usually you've come because you don't have enough resources. There's something that you need that you can't provide. There's some, and again, there's nothing wrong with you having needs. And by the way, Jesus said even in the Sermon on the Mount, my father knows what you need before you even ask for it. This isn't news to him. But isn't it amazing when our father, when we pray to our father, there isn't anything he doesn't have access to or has control of our owns that you could possibly need that he can't provide. Isn't that amazing? Those four things literally in just the first two words of the way Jesus said for us to pray, say, our Father. That is powerful stuff. Blessed assurance. assurance. Jesus is mine, right? That's one of my, isn't that a great hymn? Fantastic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Comfort. Yeah. Especially in those times where we need it most. When we go to him in prayer, our father, isn't it something? You do feel that belonging. He breaks down those things that are trying to separate you from him. Let's see how I put it. Oh, this is good. 
Resources are limitless. <laughs> Should we write this? You guys, let, you guys I'm just going to act like I'm writing it down. So when we really say our father, I'll write it down. I can tell you're looking. Diane's wanting me to do it. Fear is gone. Now, I'm going to say this positively. I said hopelessness is gone, but let's say hope grows. Loneliness is gone. Resources are limitless. How many of you pray that way? Now, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say, you know, I'm not trying to put anybody in a spot. How many of these eight things are in your prayer life? How many times when you say, our Father, and, I, you know, sometimes how you, you know, and I, I thought about how my um, addressing God has changed. I say, our dearest Heavenly Father. Most of the time, I'm, I, I, it's like that, Right? But how many times do I really feel that what I've just said that I really believe? <laughs> right? Because I'm, I'm going to say in my life, in, this, in the next week, the chances of some sense of fear coming, usually it's in the middle of the night when it's really dark and it's really late and there's nobody up, right? That's when fear kind of hits you the hardest. Or loneliness. You can be lonely being surrounded by a lot of people. Easily done. Easily done. But when you understand who your father is, loneliness is gone. But the one that to me is, it does not matter what your situation is, does not matter how amazingly outside of what you could perceive is what you, you may not even know what you need. You ever been there? I don't even know what I need. And that's when the Holy Spirit is literally groaning and travailing for you because he knows what you need to ask for. When you don't. But to know that when our Father, there's nothing that He doesn't have that you need that He can't provide. Think of that. We should be just jumping up and down to pray. (laughs) And what is praying? It is spiritually breathing. All right. That was kind of long for just two words, wasn't it? (laughs) But Jesus wants us to learn a lot from Luke chapter 11. All right, any questions or comments? Sounds like what you just said came out of Ephesians. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding above and beyond. Above all that you can ask or think. That's right. In fact, let's, let's, let's use that as our closing today. It fits perfectly, doesn't it? You know, I find myself in Ephesians a lot. Let's go there, Ephesians chapter 3. Starting verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, 
and length and depth and height. To know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen and amen. 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 Let's pray. Father God, what privilege you have given to us. As we have just literally looked at, as, you descri- as Jesus Christ described to that disciple and those that were listening, and, li- and, and no doubt he was speaking for them. This had been going on for a period of time. They'd watched, they'd listened, they'd watched the Savior that they didn't even know was their Savior yet. They watched this one called Jesus Christ, this Messiah, this one praying to his Father, praying in a different way with so much earnestness, with so much power. On that day, he asked, Teach us to pray. And then Jesus said, when you pray, say, Our Father. Oh, God. I I don't even have the words to describe everything that went in for you to accomplish that very essence of those two words that can be personally said. That one that has trusted Christ. Our Father. What it brings to the table. What it literally dissipates that this world is full of fear and loneliness. Literally, our Father takes those away. Thank you for all of the resources that you have, Father, that you will utilize in a way that will make us just a little bit more like Jesus Christ. That's your model. That's your goal. You continually work on us. Chipping away, taking what we don't need, giving us more grace to be what we do need. Father, I pray for each one that's been here today and those that hear my voice that this would be an opportunity to reflect, to regain perspective that of those that are in Christ Jesus, to literally cry out our Father. Father, there are those as well today that may be listening to this that don't know God as their Father. There are many religions and cults that literally missionaries are working with this very moment in this day and this hour, of which they are grasped and held in control by fear of a false religion that is enamored with a fear that is not anything that comes from you. Father God, you sent Jesus Christ to die for them. In love, you reached out. Jesus spread his arms, hung on a cross, nailed thereby, took the sin of each and every person. That sin was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, I ask that if there would be anyone that has the need, sees the need because you've called, because you are wooing to them through the power of the Spirit, that they would reach out and confess their sins, repent, turn to their Savior, Jesus Christ, asking Him to save them. At that moment, literally at that moment, things change. Then God does become their Father. The Holy Spirit takes residence. He will dwell within them. There will be a desire 
to find out more about God. Father, if there's anyone today, we yearn and we pray for their soul. We ask, Father, that the Holy Spirit would convict, bring, and close the deal through Jesus. Pray for those that have many issues, challenges in this coming week. Things they may not have any idea of how it's going to work out, how they're going to get through it. They don't even know what to ask for. Father, they are yours if they're in Christ. When they reach out in our Father, all of those things that are bothering them, all of those things that are keeping them from fellowship, that are making their problems huge, they will evaporate at the feet of Jesus. Father, take us and use us. The journey we're on is to bring glory to yourself and to mature us. Thank you for what you've done today. Thank you for what you will do in these coming days ahead. We pray for our nation. We pray that we would stand firm on the Word of God. That we would be available to do what you want us to do. Help us. Strengthen us. Give us wisdom. Direct our paths as we search the Scriptures. These things we ask in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the one who died for us. In his name we pray. Amen.